Well, I thought this was going to be the first All Saints Sunday in four years, and I didn't cry, but <laughs> that didn't happen. Uh, kids, if y'all want to follow out, follow Miss Sandy out for Children's Church. See, all the scriptures that we're going to look at this morning are going to sound very, very familiar to it to you because they're all. They're not exact scriptures, but they're very close to a number of the scriptures that we have covered really since my coming to Bemis. Um, and we've talked about a lot of this, um, a lot of this material, a lot of the, the, the themes of this material over a period of, of weeks, really. On this All Saints Sunday, though, what I want us to do when we take a look at these scriptures is I want us to take, the, take a look at them from maybe a slightly different view. I'm going to read these real slow. And as I do, I don't want you to think of them as, usually when we would teach, when I would, I would preach on these scriptures, we, it would obviously it would be a discipleship sermon, or it would be a teaching sermon on, uh, on the kingdom of God and how the love that Christ calls us to and that type of thing. And certainly that's, that's, that's the primary message in it. But I want you to look at them a little bit differently today as we read them. I'm going to read them again real slow. And uh, what I want you to envision this time around is, don't think of these scriptures being pointed directly to you, which, which they are. They are. That's the, that's the main way to teach these and preach these. But I want you to look at it from a different angle as we read them. I want you to envision on this All Saints Sunday, I want you to think and I want you to envision somebody or some people in your lives who have really embodied these scriptures. Think of those who maybe we've known them personally. Or maybe they may even be a historical figure in the church or in Christianity. Think of those lives who really, who you know, who you think of, who come to mind when you hear these scriptures. Those people who exude the very essence of what we see Christ calling us to here. It comes out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. Start in verse 27. And again, I just want you to think not so much about how this applies to me today as opposed to just remembering. Remembering somebody you know personally, maybe somebody you know today personally. Who do you know that embodies what Christ calls us to here? To you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do not do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. And if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's the word of God for the people of God. And again, these scriptures, I'm sure, sound very, very familiar to you guys at this point. They echo many of the subjects that we've already talked about before since my time here at Venus. We've talked about loving our enemies. We've talked about praying for people who persecute us. We've talked about praying for people who harm us, hurt us. We've talked about not seeking retaliation or revenge against people. We've talked about caring for the poor. We've talked about caring for the marginalized. And we've talked about treating others with justice, mercy, and with fairness. 
we have discovered that these are some of the toughest words that Christ could possibly give us. They're hard to live out in our own lives. Again, like I said in the beginning, prior to today, we talked about these ideas as a model of discipleship, as a means of following Christ and serving other people. For this day, though, I again want you and want us to look into these verses to think and to remember those who we have loved, those who have gone before us, those who once more embodied all of the qualities and all of the practices espoused here by Christ himself, those who lived, those who really expressed saintly love. These qualities are extraordinary. If we were honest, they are rarely seen, even among those who call ourselves Christians, those who call ourselves disciples. But all of us know these people. All of us know people at some point in our lives who have mirrored and who have reflected the things that we see in these verses today. Since my short time here at Bemis, I've heard stories. I've heard a lot of stories about love and generosity of the people who have come before us I want y'all to remember those people today. I didn't know them, but you who have been here for a long time did. Y'all know exactly who I'm talking about. I want you to remember those who show this same type of saintly love and remember them fondly. Even since my time here at Bemis, I've seen the spirit of these people that has lived on through you guys. And that's just what I want you to concentrate on. Most of what we're going to talk about today is not, is not a teaching. It's not really it's not a preaching. I just want you guys to reflect a little bit. And I picked these verses specifically because, again, they're some of the hardest things that Christ calls us to. And if we were honest, most of us don't live up to these. But we know those who do, and we know those who have. Most of y'all, I'm sure, are thinking about somebody or some people right now. I'm going to tell you about some of the saints in my life. Some of the saints... And again, this is why this is not really a sermon. I just want to tell you about some of the saints, some of the people who've gone before me, who have made an impact on my life, and why they've made an impact on my life. And as I tell you my story, I just want you guys to think about your story. Maybe it's somebody in your family, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's some friends over the years, maybe it's people in our church. And again, maybe it's somebody that we never even know, never even knew. Certainly Jesus is one of them. But maybe it's somebody down through Christian history who has made an impact hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later in your life. I can name examples of all of these people in my life, and that's, that's what I'm going to do this morning, just for a few minutes before we go into communion. So as I'm doing this, as I'm telling you about the saints in my life, again, think of the saints in your life. The first saint that comes to my mind who has made an impact on my, on my personal life was a guy that lived about 1,500 years ago. And he was truly a saint. He's recognized as a saint by the way. And his name was St. Benedict, St. Benedict of Nursia. He was born around the year 480. He was born into a very distinguished family in Italy. Uh, he went to study in Rome when he was of age. But while he was there, he was really disheartened. He was disheartened by the immorality that he saw around him. He was disheartened by the political divisions that he saw around him. And he was disheartened about the divisions within the church. And he decided the best thing for him to do was to just go away from it all. To go and be what they call an ascetic. Some of us might call that a hermit. 
So St. Benedict went and lived that lifestyle for a long time. He went into a cave and he lived by himself and all he did was pray and seek the will of God in his life. After a while, though, he felt a different calling on his life. He felt, he felt a calling towards what we call church or community. What he is best known for is being the father of Western monasticism. That is the, the, the uh, practice of monasteries, the practice of monks. He's the guy who's kind of credited for, for starting that whole movement in the church 1,500 years ago. Another thing that he's credited for is he wrote what was called the Rule of St. Benedict. And any of you guys can find this on the internet. You can buy a copy of it for about three bucks. But what he laid down in that rule was, number one, it was a way for, for the monks and for the administrators of these monasteries to operate, how they operated the monasteries. But the second part that he laid down was the rule of life for the monks themselves. And he based it all on the Gospels. He based it all on the teachings of Jesus. The primary themes within that rule and the primary ways that these monks lived by were, were the ideas of, of generous, um, gracious, amazing hospitality towards other people, toward every single person that they met. They, they, they vowed never to turn anybody away that comes to their door. Another thing that, that, he, that, uh, that he stressed was the idea of humility. The other idea that he stressed was absolute, complete, un, unhindered uh, devotion and obedience to Jesus Christ, especially stuff like this that we find in the Gospels. And that's the primary way, that is the way that he lived, and that's the way that he, that he taught initially. And again, this is coming down through 1,500 years of history. He also stressed prayer, which is something that you guys know I'm big on. And not just any kind of prayer, real prayer. The monks would pray multiple times a day, usually I think seven times a day. They would gather as a community, still do gather as a community and pray several, seven times a day. They would pray at night as individuals before they went to bed. And he also stressed the idea that St. Paul tells us, the idea that, you know, pray without ceasing, as St. Paul writes. Uh, he, uh, he stressed the importance of, of manual labor and work and how our labor, how our work, how our occupations can be times, our times, of service to God and service to others. That these are all sacred times. There's, there's no such thing as a non-sacred time in our life. Everything is sacred. And that influence has trickled down through the church. Doesn't matter what denomination you are. That influence has trickled down through the church for 1,500 years. And he remains a revered teacher. Really of the gospel is what it comes down to. And it's not just restricted to monks who live in monasteries. The Benedictine monasteries are everywhere throughout the world right now. But it's trickled down through lay people as well. People within the Catholic Church, people like with outside, with, outside of the Catholic Church. I happen to be one of them. Um, sometimes you guys will notice that I wear a pin on my, my pin on my lapel here. I know you can't see it. It's really, really small. <clears throat> but uh, And sometimes you'll see me wear a necklace that's very, very similar to this. This is called the Cross of St. Benedict. And uh, basically what that means is, and here's a little story about myself, is that I have aligned myself or, I, I, I with a, or associated myself with a, with a Benedictine monastery here in the United States. And then basically I have agreed to do my best with God's help to live within, the, to live within what the rule of Benedict uh, lays out for us, which again, obedience, hospitality, generosity, devotion, obedience to God, obedience to Christ. Every month, I, I, uh, I, I meet with a Benedictine monk. 
via the uh, via the wonders of Zoom, and he leads me in some. His name is Father Michael Peterson, and he leads me through some spiritual formation, and I get to tell Father Michael all the all the bad stuff about my life, and and uh, he, he he listens to me, and uh, he admonishes me when it needs admonishing, and he and he builds me up when I when I need building up. And it's just a really cool experience. So from one man 1,500 years ago, we're still influenced today. I'm still influenced today. Another person, another uh, saint throughout history is one that a lot of you guys have heard of. His name was St. Francis of Assisi. Um, two or three weeks ago, I tried, if you remember right, I, I messed up and I tried to pray a prayer that was attributed to him uh, without looking at it. And I, and I got through it. But anyway, uh, St. Francis was born around... Um, around 1182 to a very, very wealthy family. And again, he was from Italy as well. He, as well, he was kind of a party boy. Um, again, his family was very, very well off, and he spent his early years doing things that, 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 most, that a lot of us do anyway. I certainly did, living it up and spending money and, and uh, basically partying and in, indulging in all the indulgences of life. Uh, he began to experience a conversion around the age 20. And at the age of 20, St. Francis renounced all of his wealth. It ticked his father off really, really bad. He renounced all of his wealth, and at one point he stripped himself bare in the middle of the streets of all clothes that he had, and he, and he devoted himself to a lifetime of poverty. St. Francis was a little bit crazy, we might call him today. But he had one basic rule, and that was to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and to walk in his footsteps in all ways possible. All this stuff that we read out of the gospel so often, he took every word of that literally. And he lived a life of sold-out devotion to God, sold-out devotion to God, serving the poor, being one of his, one of his primary um, distinctives. So here, once again, here we are, hundreds of years later. This guy is still influencing churches and still influencing com uh, communities and individuals. 800 years later, his main thing was the idea of renewal and revival. He didn't like what he saw was going on in the church during his time either. He felt a call of God to rebuild his church and what that meant to Francis was to mimic everything that Christ was everything that Christ taught and he started a movement and once again I'll say it to you 800 years later 800 years later this guy is still an influence on people by the way Francis is also credited with setting up the first nativity scene so that's where we get that uh, that's where we get that tradition from another guy in church history that sticks out to me is, is John Wesley as a major influence in my own life, as a major saint in my own life. Wesley, as we all know, was the founder of Methodism, even though he did not intend to start a new denomination. He was an Anglican priest, and he died an Anglican priest. Methodism really took off after he passed away. And once again, just as Francis before him, Wesley's main mission was the renewal of the church. He did not like the things that he saw transpiring in the church and he believed that he had a call of God to participate in renewing and rebuilding God's church. And that's exactly what he did. He started over in England. He began a movement called the Holy Club. If you guys gathered, gathered with us on Wednesday nights for the last two, two and a half months or so, we read a lot about this stuff. And they would watch over one another. That's what this Holy Club was called. It was all about watching over one another in love. And they would ask each other some very distinct questions, some very personal questions. How have you sinned lately? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Those types of things. So that's how Methodism really, really began before it took off. He took his message of salvation, and this is what made the church mad at him in England, by the way. He took his message of salvation to the poor, and he took his message of salvation to the marginalized. He preached in fields, which uh, was kind of unbecoming 
in that culture. He preached in fields to thousands of people, and thousands of people came to Christ. He was looked on shamefully by the church because of this practice. He stressed the idea of entire sanctification, another topic that we've talked about on Wednesday nights. This idea of us growing in perfect love for God and perfect love for our neighbors, perfect holy love. He also stressed the idea of social action, that Christianity is not just about my beliefs and it's not just about my personal um, relationship with God. It is that, but we can't, if, to deny the fact that we have a social responsibility would have been an unknown idea to Wesley. He took that, he took his individual calling as a Christian and he took the Gospels and the prophets of the Old Testament seriously. And he said, you know, we have to, we have to be involved in social action. And he was known for that. Wesley was adamantly, adamantly, adamantly opposed to the slave trade in England. He saw the slave trade in the United States as absolutely abominable. Wesley was anti-slavery before anti-slavery was cool, so to speak. 200 years almost, 150 years almost before it became illegal over here. He was very unpopular to say the least at the time. But this is one way that he put his Christianity into social action through his anti-slavery um, practices through assisting the poor, through visiting the imprisoned. The Methodist Church exists today because of him and his brother Charles. He's a saint who has informed me, and I'm sure to some degree he has informed you. Now those are all people that I don't know. <coughs> Saints of my life. I'll tell you about some people I do know. One is a couple in my former church, and their names were Margaret and Ellick Bullington. Both of them are in their 90s now. I think Ellick's probably about 96, and Margaret's 92, 93, somewhere in that area. They are, they are, they're both lifelong Methodists. Ellick was an elder in the, in the United Methodist Church, and he actually served as a district superintendent when they had a Statesboro district. When they retired, when Ellick retired, he wound up preaching in Broxton, the church that I came from, and they, and they wound up uh, staying there. That's where they, they didn't intend to do that, but they wound up staying there, and that's where they resided up until the last couple of years. This is hands down the most beautiful couple, the most genuine, most authentic Christian couple that I've ever known in my entire life. Up until a couple of years ago when Alec had a stroke and, and became less mobile, Alec, even though he wasn't employed by the church, he would go to the hospital over, over in Coffee County pretty much every day, I would say. If you found out somebody's in the hospital, you can bet that Alec Bullington was going to knock on your door. Ellick and Margaret are, hands down, the most giving people I've ever known in my life. Y'all know how we talk about giving to people, and even if it, especially if it's money, especially if it's cash, and all these things roll around in our, in our minds, well, do they really deserve it? Are they going to spend it on this? Are they going to spend it on that? Are they going to spend it on what they say they're going to spend it on? All of us do that, right? Yeah, come on, we do. They didn't ask those questions. If somebody, if somebody asked Ellick and Margaret for money, they gave it to them, Period. It wasn't even a second thought to him. And that challenges me. That challenges me because Margaret always told me, Jesus said give. He didn't say the question why. If somebody asked, give it to him. And that challenges me because I think like most of us probably in this room think, what's this person going to do with it? They're going to misuse it. Well, what did Christ really tell us to do? He said to give. Personally, I think that they got the right idea. It's hard for most of us to be able to do that, though. And they never turned anybody away. They never, ever turned anybody away. The last person I want to talk about probably comes as no surprise to you because I've mentioned this person already on several occasions, and that's my mom. And that is the reason that I continue to cry on All Saints Sunday. 
Because when it comes to loving others, when it comes to serving others, my mom was and remains my role model. She remains my standard. She's the closest I've ever seen to meeting the standards of love that we see in today's text. My mom didn't have enemies. As a matter of fact, if you didn't like my mom, something was wrong with you. She was a giver. She gave to anybody who asked, most like, all, very, very much like Alec and Margaret. And uh, other people were always her first priority. Her family was always her first priority. She believed wholeheartedly in verse 31, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's what I grew up with, and that was my model, once again. That was my standard, which I don't even come close to meeting yet. My mom did not have a hint of violence in her. She did not have a hint of meanness. She did not have a hint of hatred in her heart. As a matter of fact, she couldn't understand these things. These, these ideas were absolutely foreign to her. She didn't get it when other people expressed these things. They were beyond her understanding. Even when people like me caused my mom pain. And I did cause her some pain in my earlier years. She endured it. And she retaliated with love. And she retaliated with kindness. So those are just some of my saints. And again, I'm, I'm not here to tell you about myself necessarily. But I do remember these things on All Saints Day. And I want you guys to remember those people too. We've all got them. Again, if we've known them personally or whether we've been told about them, or maybe they are a historical Christian figure. The saints in our lives who have gone before us, who laid the path for us, who laid the path for us to follow as disciples of Jesus Christ, who has shown us the love that we see reflected in the words of Christ here in these scriptures. Can I ask somebody to go grab our kids so they can participate in communion, please? And as we remember our salvation this morning, as we remember the saint of all saints, Christ, who gave us the ultimate gift of salvation, we're also going to remember some of these people in our lives, some of these people who have meant so much to us, some of these people who have influenced us, and again, who have laid the path for us to follow, who have set the standards for our own discipleship and our own Christianity.